I'm Tracy Sable tonight on EWTN News Nightly, Middle East on the Edge. More than 100 people are dead in Iran as tensions continue to escalate in the region. We have analysis. Border battle. Why Republicans say they are moving closer to impeaching Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. Targeting the faithful. A new report takes a closer look at the Ortega regime and how many priests and bishops remain in jail in Nicaragua. And always by our side, Pope Francis delivers a hopeful message about overcoming struggles. These stories and more tonight. From EWTN, the Global Catholic Network, this is EWTN News Nightly. Thank you for being with us on the Feast of the Holy Name of Jesus. Our top story tonight, chaos in Iran as at least 100 people are dead following explosions during a ceremony marking the four-year anniversary of the assassination of General Qasim Soleimani. According to Iranian authorities, two bomb blasts injured more than 200 people near the tomb of Soleimani. Iran Supreme Leader Ayatollah Ali Khamenei vowed to punish those responsible for the attack. So far, no one has claimed responsibility. Before Soleimani was killed by a U.S. airstrike in 2020, he was seen as the most important leader in Iran after the Supreme Leader. The leader of Lebanon's Hezbollah group expressed condolences to the families of those killed in the Iran blast. Hassan Nasrallah made the comment today during a speech to his followers. He also condemned the killing of a senior Hamas official yesterday in Beirut. It is widely assumed that Israel carried out the drone strike. Nasrallah said if there was any attempt to wage war against Lebanon, the country's battle will be boundless. Meanwhile, the IDF says it launched an investigation into the bombing of the Palestinian Red Crescent headquarters in Khan Yunus. According to the aid organization, Israeli forces targeted the eighth floor of their headquarters, killing five people and injuring several others yesterday. Israeli forces are conducting their ground operations across multiple areas in the Gaza Strip. As a result, they have directed many residents of Khan Yunus to relocate to Rafa. Let's bring in now journalist Akram Al-Satari, who is in Khan Yunus right now. Akram, great to have you back on. So tell us, what are you witnessing right now? Well, as a matter of fact, Khan Yunus has been witnessing a massive influx of the people who are moving according to the instructions that were provided by the Israeli army, asking them to move and relocate to Rafah area. And more people have been moving for the past few days because the air troop leaflets never stopped in this particular area. The area that was asked to leave is around, uh, has a population of around 150,000 uh, Palestinians, which is around half of the population of Kanyunis. When you travel down the road from Kanyunis to Rafah, you would see countless number of tents that are constructed by the people. And when you see Al Mawasi area, which is an area in the very west of Kanyunis, you see also countless number of people, countless number of tents, and you keep seeing that for around uh, 15 to 30 minutes, and people are also moving in Rafah. Rafah is overcrowded by the people, and some of the estimations say that there are around 1 million people who are already relocating to Rafah and who are already present in Rafah and struggling to secure their very basic needs in that area. We are now almost uh, three months into this war, can you tell us how people there in Gaza are coping? 
Well, as a matter of fact, being one of the Gazans who are affected by that, I have relocated from my home twice, and I have experienced the uh, the journey of trying to find the food and the water and secure the basic needs of the family and worrying and caring about my children. And I, I think that speaks also for many other peoples. People were witnessing bombardments near their areas, in their areas. They lost their deeds. They were injured themselves. They were also struggling to secure the very basic needs. It's very difficult to say that people are coping. Some of the coping mechanisms are extremely negative coping mechanisms. For instance, when people are looking for the cooking gas, they are just cutting the trees, whether they are dry or clean, for the sake of securing a source of wood fire for their families to cook. So that is one of the negative coping mechanisms, and Palestinians have been resorting to many of other negative coping mechanisms for, for the sake of coping. So I cannot say Palestinians are coping. I would say that a great deal of fear and a great deal of devastation that left them with no resources whatsoever and with a great deal of fear of an imminent death that would destroy their life and the life of their dears. Akram, um, before I let you go, uh, and we're running out of time here, but with the killing of the senior Hamas member in Lebanon yesterday, there are many that are concerned that this conflict will widen. Your thoughts on that? Well, I think Palestinians and Lebanese alike and many other Arabs think that there would be some very difficult fallouts. And I think you can hear in the background the heavy bombardment that is taking place not far away from our place. Anyway, the Palestinians, Lebanese, and other Arab actors are, and analysts are thinking that those fallouts because of the killing and assassination of the senior Hamas leader are inevitable, and they think that the struggle and the conflict is going to be expanded and going to reach some unprecedented level with a greater deal and a greater level of destruction and devastation on both ends. Akram, thank you for your time today, and, and please stay safe. We appreciate your help. Thank you. Well, the Biden administration struggles to prevent the widening of the Israel-Hamas war. It already deployed two aircraft carriers and other military assets to the region. But the White House is still concerned about the conflict expanding. White House correspondent Owen Jensen reports. Owen. Tracy, good evening to you. This afternoon, National Security Council spokesman John Kirby told reporters that President Biden has received updates from his national security team. And just yesterday, President Biden spoke with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. Kirby added, quote, Hamas still has a significant force posture inside Gaza. With President Joe Biden back from vacation, his administration finds itself trying to keep the Mideast war from expanding in the region. In the briefing room today, National Security Council spokesman John Kirby reacts to the deadly explosions that rocked Iran. Our hearts go out to all the innocent victims uh, and their family members who are obviously their lives are going to be forever changed by this. But we don't have any um, we don't have any more detail in terms of how it happened or who would might be responsible for it. And after a senior Hamas figure was just killed in a suspected Israeli strike in Beirut, Israel now on high alert for an escalation with Lebanon's powerful Hezbollah militia. The Biden administration's response? 
what they, they absolutely can do is eradicate the threat that Hamas poses to the Israeli people. And you can do that by going after leadership. You can do that by going after their infrastructure. You can do that by going after their resources. Secretary of State Antony Blinken was expected back in the region this week. Just days ago, the State Department approved an emergency weapons sale to Israel, saying the United States is committed to the country's security. So Israel certainly has a right to carry out legitimate counterterrorism operations, uh, and we support their uh, ability to do so and their right to do so. And as Israel goes after Hamas with heavy fighting continuing, there remain an estimated 129 hostages still held by the terror group. And it appears that as for now, a peaceful resolution to the war remains elusive. It's not in the interest of any country in the region. It's not in, any country, in the interest of any country in the world to see this conflict escalated any further than it already is. Also today, in a joint statement from the U.S. and several other nations around the globe, a warning to Yemen's Houthi rebels who've been causing chaos on the Red Sea, stop the incessant attacks on commercial ships or else pay the price. Earlier this week, U.S. forces sunk three Houthi boats that were attacking a container ship. At the White House, Owen Jensen, EWTN News Nightly. House Speaker Mike Johnson and a group of 60 House Republicans cut their holiday recess short and made a trek to the southern border. Last month, border officials encountered over 300,000 migrants, setting a record that dates back to 2000. But Biden officials continue to say border crossings have significantly dropped in recent days. Capitol Hill correspondent Eric Rosales joins us now in the studio with the latest. Eric? Well, good evening, Tracy. You know, backlash and criticism about the border crisis continue to come in from state and local officials, including from Democrat-led cities like the mayors of New York and Chicago, who simply say that they can't handle this flow of migrants. House Republicans are starting their two-day border trip, hearing from agents on the front line along the southern border near Eagle Pass, Texas. They say America has been sidelined by failed Biden administration policies, and their ultimate goal is to find legislative solutions to tackle this crisis. One of the things that I've been pushing for is the federal government to deport people that are here illegally. I've also been pushing for legal immigration and increasing, you know, immigration judges and, and, and getting those cases heard. These are all tangible solutions. House Republicans are also forging ahead with their impeachment proceedings against Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas over the border crisis. The proceedings will begin January 10th. Democrats say the issue is much more complicated and complex than just blaming the secretary and the impeachment will not go anywhere. And if anything, we need to be working in a bipartisan way, including with the administration and with Secretary Mayorkas, to solve this humanitarian crisis. And this just sets up sets uh, back those conversations. Secretary Mayorkas defended his actions, saying the entire system needs to be reformed. We have a broken immigration system that is the one single fact about which everyone agrees. When they're at the border, they're going to see the magnitude of the problem and why we have said now for about three decades that our uh, broken immigration system is in desperate need of legislative reform. Meanwhile, the fight between the White House and Texas Governor Greg Abbott intensifies. The Biden administration is now asking the U.S. Supreme Court to let the U.S. Border Patrol cut razor wire at the southern border. Last year, the Lone Star State sued to halt the wire removal, claiming that it was a destruction of state property and says it's effective in keeping illegal migrants out. Outside the White House Tuesday night, the president told reporters that Congress needs to do its job and give the federal government more money to address the problem. Guys, 
Ironically, Secretary Mayorkas just announced that he plans to make a trip to the border next Monday and meet with Border Patrol agents. On Capitol Hill, negotiations continue in the Senate over securing an agreement on a border package. However, it will have to be tied to additional funding for Ukraine, Israel, and even Taiwan. And just today, several Freedom Caucus members tweeted out that it may be time to shut down the border or shut down the government. We control the money. A message directed right at President Biden. Tracy. In battle, New Jersey Senator Robert Menendez is facing additional bribery charges. The Justice Department says the Democrat is accused of accepting bribes and gifts, including gold bars. In exchange, Senator Menendez allegedly helped a friend land a lucrative deal in Qatar. The New Jersey Democrat is already facing federal charges for allegedly acting as a foreign agent and accepting hundreds of thousands of dollars of bribes to benefit the Egyptian government. Following his arrest in September, Senator Menendez gave up his position as chair of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. So far, he has resisted calls to resign. A federal appeals court says that emergency room doctors are not required to perform abortions. This strikes down the Biden administration's efforts to use a 1986 law to justify emergency room abortions as a, quote, stabilizing treatment. Oh, we have a lot more still to come here on EWTN News Nightly, including speaking out. South Korea's president addresses the recent attack against an opposition leader and the latest on more than a dozen bishops and priests imprisoned in Nicaragua. South Korea is strongly condemning Tuesday's knife attack on an opposition leader. The president added that everyone should consider the attack as an attempt to suppress freedom. The president also wished his political opponent a speedy recovery. The opposition leader was stabbed by someone pretending to be asking for an autograph. Well, Russia and Ukraine have exchanged hundreds of prisoners of war. It is the biggest release of prisoners since the war began nearly two years ago. This video shows some of the more than 200 Russian soldiers on their way home. Moscow released more than 200 Ukrainian soldiers as well. It was the first exchange in nearly five months. The deal was brokered by the United Arab Emirates. Well, in Nicaragua, in 2023, ended with more than a dozen Catholic clergy in jail. The most recent arrest took place on New Year's Eve. A new report says that as of 2024 begins, the Ortega regime has in custody two bishops, 15 priests, and two seminarians. The most notable is Bishop Rolando Alvarez. He was sentenced to 26 years in prison and is accused of, quote, being a traitor to the homeland. The lawmakers in the U.S. are demanding answers, including Catholic Congressman Chris Smith, chair of the Human Rights Committee. He spoke with Capitol Hill correspondent Eric Rosales and says what President Ortega is doing is outrageous. To arrest another bishop and at least 12 more priests uh, is, is outrageous. And, you know, the bishop was was asking for prayers uh, for Bishop Alvarez, uh, and he needs our prayers. Um, he's a very strong, faith-filled leader. He's amazing. I think he's a saint. Congressman Smith wants the Biden administration to hand down tougher sanctions against Ortega until Bishop Alvarez and others are released. The Vatican is also following the situation. About Francis... Con preocupazione. 
cuando está veniendo en Nicaragua. Pope Francis addressed the situation in his New Year's Day address to pilgrims at the Vatican. He says that he is closely following the events and asked the faithful to join him in prayer. And joining us now to discuss is Jason Poblet, founder and president of the Global Liberty Alliance. Jason, great to be with you again. So why do you think we continue to see this purging of the clergy by the Ortega regime? I mean, it seems it just isn't going to stop. Tracy, thanks for having us, and thank you for focusing again on this issue. Uh, sunshine is very important in religious freedom cases. I mean, in Nicaragua, as we talked about before, it's a long-term project. They want to purge the church out of Nicaragua. And let's not forget, Nicaragua is a police state. There is no rule of law. And there's very few organizations, institutions within Nicaragua that can challenge that government. There's only really only two is the Catholic Church and, of course, the private sector and civil society. And since 2018 and a little before then, uh, the Ortega regime has been systematically expelling opponents. And the Catholic Church, of course, has come under a special targeting, as it usually does. These men, uh, brave men and lay people, uh, should not be locked up. And we need to take, I think, a more clear position about what it is we want and not want. And right now, unfortunately, the U.S. government and some other stakeholders have not been clear about that. I mean, Nicaragua, keep in mind, is also at the heart of some other issues like human trafficking. They are facilitating trafficking to the U.S. border. They are encouraging people to break the law and come to this country. So I think the Holy See, the U.S. government can work constructively together, but we have to be a lot clearer about this and step in and protect these men. These men want to be in churches. These men want to be taking care of their flock. I know some of them. I'm not going to say any of them by name because I don't want to bring them any more trouble than they are already in. But we have to get a little more focused. Sanctions are part of that, as Congressman Chris Smith just said. But we need a lot more than that. Sanctions without a policy are just tools, and tools that are not wielded correctly can cause a lot more harm than good. So I think we have to get a little more focused, and I do think we can get these men out, but we have to be a little more focused on how it is we deploy all resources of U.S. power. Yeah, and Jason, how do you think we can do that, you know, more effectively from a public policy standpoint? I think you, you have to start doing what we're doing here, uh, which is talking about it, raising awareness, and also keeping in mind that Ortega has all the cards right now. He can continue doing this with impunity, and he won't stop unless we force him to stop. And unfortunately, I think we're having this interesting game with him you know, he just reconstituted his Ministry of Interior. He kind of reached back to the Cold War, brought back the secret police with the help of Cuba. There are reports that he's putting together a religion police. Uh, there are things that are clear signs. I mean, today, this week, they just uh, broke ground on a new free trade agreement with China. If we were to focus on U.S. interests, getting China and Russia out of there, targeting, pressuring Cuba to stop helping Nicaragua. There's a lot of things that we can get done there. I don't want the bad guys to know what it is that, we're, that, that the U.S. government should or shouldn't do. But I do think we need to start focusing, one, speaking a lot more clearly and forcefully and not, 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 not wavering. These men are being targeted. Some will die if we don't jump in and do something. But also start focusing our policy in the region. You can't negotiate with terrorists. In my mind, this is a terrorist regime. Uh, the designation of Nicaragua as a terrorist regime should be on the table. That review should happen. It should have happened years ago, but we haven't done it. Uh, Cuba's already on the list. Venezuela's not on it. I think we should consider looking at that as well. But we have to have a comprehensive policy, and we shouldn't allow the church to be exposed this way. And that's the part that's frustrating about this. We saw during the Cold War with Ronald Reagan and Pope John Paul, 
in much more difficult circumstances. There was a war down there at the time, a hot war with people dying in Nicaragua, got together and worked together to fix things. I'm not saying we can duplicate that. I am saying, though, between the U.S. and the Vatican in a highly Catholic country, there's a lot more we can be doing. And it's a shame that I think about three now of the nine bishops are locked up and one of them's in Miami. So that, 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 all of this needs to change. It needs to change quickly. And I think we can do this. We can turn it around. We've studied this issue for a long time, Tracy, as you know. Now it's time to get to work, get these people out, and make sure there's some red lines in place. And that includes visa restrictions, sanctions, and the private sector needs to do their part. They are still a powerful force in Nicaragua. And rather than feathering their bed with the regime, what they should be doing is helping these fellow priests get out of these places because they have the ability to influence that process to help get these men out of these prisons. Well, Jason, so much more we can talk about. Uh, thank you for staying on this. We're going to stay on this as well. And God bless you for all that you do. God bless you, Tracy. Take care. Up next on EWTN News Nightly, on our side, the Holy Father tells a faithful how Jesus never abandons us. Plus, Catholics in the Philippines receive blessings prior to a major feast. Franciscan friars of California are filing for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. This after dozens of sexual abuse claims have been filed against the religious order. The state of California recently passed legislation allowing a three-year exemption to the statute of limitations on abuse lawsuits. Pope Francis reminds the faithful that even in our worst moments and lowest points of our lives, Jesus is standing right beside us. At his first weekly talk of the year, the Holy Father urged us to remember that Jesus never leaves us alone and lifts us up even when things are at their worst. The Holy Father also reminded the faithful that God's grace will help us emerge victorious in all spiritual combat. Well, back here in the United States, more than 19,000 mostly young people are gathering in St. Louis for an event aimed at helping people deepen their Catholic faith. And there are large crowds even for going to confession. One C conference attendee posted this video earlier today. Last year, hundreds of priests heard confession for two hours. It is estimated nearly 2,000 people took part. This year's Sikh conference also features mass and adoration at an all-star lineup of Catholic speakers. The event wraps up on Friday with mass, and we will have much more from St. Louis with a full recap on Monday. Well, finally tonight, the faithful are also gathering in the Philippines ahead of a centuries-old devotion. Catholics were seen receiving blessings outside of the minor basilica of the Black Nazarene. The event is part of activities leading up to the Feast of the Black Nazarene on January 9th. The feast attracts hundreds of thousands of faithful from all over the country. Many of them walk barefoot for miles to participate. One priest says the celebration is a way for the faithful to touch heaven. Oh, we thank you for watching tonight. And remember, you can follow us on social media, Facebook, X, and Instagram at EWTN News Nightly. I'm Tracy Sable. Good night and God bless.